0: Do you like to eat, like every day? Do you like to travel for special occasions, food festivals, music festivals, or just save some serious coin on your next vacation? Well, then you have found the right show. A Fork on the Road comes to you every week loaded with celebrities who travel for a living. Actors, musicians, chefs. With me, Mark DiCarlo from the Travel Channel and the James Beard Award-winning foodie, Jennifer English. Connect with me on Instagram at Mark TV and on Twitter at Mark Listen to the show everywhere you get your podcasts and subscribe at fbpodcasts.com
1: It's very nice to go traveling To Paris, London, and Rome, it's oh so nice to go traveling, but it's so much nicer, yes, it's so much nicer to come home.
0: Welcome to A Fork on the Road. I am your travel guru, Mark DiCarlo, and today's show is all about summer. We're going to be talking the best ways to undertake a trip to Europe, whether it's your first time or your tenth time, saving you money, where to go, when to go, and the kind of fun things you can do once you get there. And we'll be talking to Anders Lindstrom from Norwegian Air in just a minute, explain the best ways to get from the United States to Europe during the most popular time for Americans to travel, which is the summer, which is right now. We'll also be talking about hotel deals, great ways to find perfect hotels for your budget in the areas that you want to be at the last minute or weeks in advance. And we're going to be talking to Ryan McLevin from Silver Screen Partners, who is putting out Captain Kirk whiskey. Mm -hmm. Booze bottled as a tribute to a fictional character, although I don't think he's that fictional. Captain Kirk, come on. You can walk up to anybody in the world and say Captain Kirk and they'll know exactly who you're talking about. All that in one show. Crammed into one amazing podcast. Traveling to Europe, hotels, and whiskey from the future. All of it. And I'll be doing it alone. Jennifer is traveling this week so it's just me at the controls this week with our guests, of course. So let's talk about Europe. If you haven't been... Someone in your family probably came from there. And summer is the most popular time for Americans to travel to Europe because people are out of school. uh, People take their summer vacations. Also means it can get kind of crowded. So especially this is your first time going to Europe. You want to make sure you get the best bang for your dollar and go to places that you'll be able to really enjoy. Places to eat, things to see that you're not going to be choked with crowds. It's more difficult to do in the summer, but the weather's nice, and why not? First thing to know about traveling to Europe this summer is the dollar is very strong. At its worst a couple years ago, one euro equaled $1.8. Now, one euro equals $1.12. So your money as an American goes a lot farther now than it has in summers previously. So especially if you're traveling on a budget, and I mean, you know, no one wants to waste money. It's a good summer to go. Uh, Like I said, it can get a little crowded, but there are ways around that. And first, got to get there. But the key in getting from America to Europe is you want to do it as inexpensively as possible, yet comfortably, safely, and reliably. A lot of different airlines can take you from the States to Europe, but you can pay $4,000 for a business class ticket and that's a lot of money you can also fly for a lot less and still be comfortable the key is being able to walk off the plane once you get there and not feel like a squished up pretzel last year in september we went to barcelona and italy and found this new airline that i'd never heard of before called norwegian air and bought very inexpensive tickets to go sat in the their economy plus section And it was like we slept. Seats went far enough back where you could sleep. My feet couldn't even touch the people in front of me. It was comfortable. The food was great. The service was nice. They were on time. We didn't miss any connections. And then I start telling people about it. And everyone knew about Norwegian Air except me. So our first guest on the show today is Mr. Anders Lindstrom from Norwegian Airways. He's either in Norwegia or he's calling in from Florida And uh, he works for a great company called Norwegian Air, which I had never heard of uh, before last year. Typically, when you're going to book a trip from the United States over to Europe, you think of the big airlines, you think of American United, Delta. If you've built up points in them, that's great. But Norwegian Air is a relatively new airline, and they are quickly becoming one of the most popular airlines on these routes from the United States Europe. They're always the lowest price, which if you're like me, the first time you see that, you're figuring, oh, this is going to be a bad airline. Like, uh, I'm not going to name names like Spirit or Frontier, but it's a long flight. And you don't want to be stuck in a crappy seat that doesn't bend for six hours if you're leaving from New York or eight hours if you're leaving from Florida. So getting there And getting there in comfort and style is very important. And last September, we went to Italy and to Spain, and we flew on Norwegian Airways. And I got to say, it was incredibly comfortable. The seats were very uh, spacious. Planes were clean flights Renée's. The food was even good. Everything was surprisingly comfortable and incredibly affordable. If you go on Expedia right now and you put in New York to uh, London, let's say, the round trips on Norwegian are $777. The next lowest prices are $900 on uh, Virgin America. I don't know how they do it, but I know someone that does. His name is Anders Lindstrom. Anders, welcome to A Fork on the Road. Thank you very much. How are you? I'm great. How are you doing? Wonderful. I was just explaining to the folks how I took your airline to uh, Europe last fall and was shocked and amazed that not only do you have the lowest prices, but it's an incredibly comfortable flight. And I had never heard of Norwegian Air before last year, and now everyone I know in the travel biz is talking about your airline. Can you give me a little background on where you guys came from and kind of what your difference is compared to the other airlines? Because you're you're doing something right.
2: I'm glad to hear. Thank you. So we've been around for more than 15 years, uh, starting as a small domestic airline in Norway, then expanding to become a Scandinavian airline, European airline, and back in 2013 we launched long-haul flights into the U.S. Um, and now, 2019, we actually, uh, have more non-stop routes to Europe from the U.S. than any other foreign airline. We have almost, um, 55 non-stop routes out of the U.S. to, um, Arabia, of course, uh, but also London, Paris, Amsterdam, Madrid, Athens coming up soon, uh, Barcelona, Rome, um, and Dublin. So there's, uh, there's been a lot happening. Um, and as you say, so we're a low-cost airline. We're actually the fifth largest low-cost airline in the world. So, um, we do offer highly competitive ra- uh, fares, starting usually around $149 to Europe, including taxes. Since we're a European airline, we always include the taxes. And then you pay for what you
0: want. $149 from the United States to Europe?
2: Yes, yeah. in economy. How- and then we have a premium cabin that would be um, around $600 one way.
0: How is that possible? 150 bucks from, from wh- what New York to
2: where? New York, or if you're gonna if you're traveling from California, uh, perhaps it's around 100 dollars. Um, it all depends on how far in advance you book your ticket. You pay for what you want. So in case you want to add the meals, which would be two meals and alcohol alcohol drinks, or or you want to pay for checking um, luggage, you pay for those things, and we can bundle it together. But the the lowest available fare usually starts anywhere between hundred thirty dollars, hundred seventy dollars, depending from where in the US you're traveling from. So it's, that, uh, it's highly competitive affairs.
0: Yeah, I think it's more than competitive. I think wh- what what it, I think does and I know people that are born in Europe are more polycultural I think than the average American. Most Europeans that I know speak more than one language. Uh, how many languages do you speak, Anders?
2: Well, speak I would, I would say only two, but I studied five.
0: Okay, yeah, and that's standard there. And I I think yeah. Uh, Europeans and i 'm generalizing of course, are more familiar and conversant with other cultures you know let 's say you were brought up in Norway, you probably traveled to England or or you know Italy or Spain someplace, and it gives you a perspective on how people in the rest of the world live in America. you know you take one language for two years in high school, and that 's really all that 's required and because Europe is so far away, a lot of people don 't get the chance to go. And visit the continent and see where everything came from. So I think yeah. by uh, by making it only hundred and fifty dollars, a lot more people can take the jump and go to Europe and go hosteling or go backpacking or go to beautiful nice hotels and really see the the, the, the you know where American culture started.
2: That's one thing that changed a lot because Americans used to save up for years spend those two right. three weeks it was going
0: a to huge Europe. Expense.
2: yeah yeah but whereas now we see especially Millennials uh, traveling they go to Europe maybe uh, twice a year but they go for a long extended weekend they stay in an Airbnb they want an affordable fare but they want to make sure it's a reliable and safe airline and comfortable
0: in September of last year we flew the premium cabin which was I don't know another hundred dollars or more per ticket Flying, I think mm-hmm. we flew LAX to uh, FCO in Rome. And it, 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 it's all you needed. My feet couldn't touch the bulkhead in front of me. We could sleep. We slept on the flight. Yep. It was super comfortable. There are a couple low cost airlines here in America that have horrible reputations. <laughs> Spirit and Frontier are the, the ones that get the most complaints here. And you get a great fare, but they nickel and dime you for everything. And the flights are late or unreliable. They get canceled sometimes. And the seats are uncomfortable. So if you're flying across the country for five hours and when you land, you can't walk, especially if it's a short trip, that kind of, you know, casts a long shadow over your entire experience. The, the, yeah. the carriage on Norwegian was really comfortable.
2: I'm glad to hear it. Thank you. And I mean, we, we strive for the, the low fare, high quality um, is our take on it all. I mean, in economy, if you, if you fly in economy, for instance, you have lots of... Um, Leg room still, you have your personal screen, Um, especially since we're focusing a lot on food. I mean, you can pre-order your meals or if you're watching a movie and you want a bottle of wine, a mini bottle of wine, that is, and some uh, chocolate or crisps, you can just um, tap it into the screen in front of you, swipe your credit card, and it will be in your uh, seat in about five minutes. So it's very innovative and flexible as well.
0: Yeah, Virgin has that system, too, uh, where you mm-hmm. can just order stuff specifically at your seat, which I think is a great evolution from just rolling the cart down the aisle where they're throwing food and drinks at you twice a flight, and you got to decide, even if you don't want yep. it, you take it because you don't know when they're coming back. I, I, <laughs> uh, why don't all the airlines do what you do?
2: Oh, well, that's a, that's a very good question. I mean, one of the reasons why we're able to keep the fares low is because we also have Uh, pretty much the youngest fleet in the world when it comes to aircraft. Um, The Dreamliner, the the Euron, um, and we've only had them for a few years, and we're getting quite a few every year. Um, And that makes us um, also extremely fuel efficient. So it brings the cost Mm -hmm. down um, in terms of us, and that's what we're passing on to the customer in the end.
0: Right. Some of these older planes are gas guzzlers. So uh, since you are a world traveler and a person in the travel business, summer in Europe is always been a very popular destination. T- uh, talk a little bit about that. Things to do. What what are some of the favorite cities for Americans to visit during the summer, keeping in mind that it's always going to be a little more congested during that time. How can we avoid crowds yet still have a good authentic travel experience in some of the cities in Europe? What are some of your
1: faves?
2: Well, it depends if you're a first-time traveler to Europe uh, or a second or third time. Uh, for first-time travelers, I mean, we, we London, Paris, Rome are top of the list as well is, is Barcelona. We're actually launching Athens. Um, is Athens. one of our new routes coming. Um, extremely popular destination among Americans. But if you've already been to Europe once, I would highly recommend going to Scandinavia. I'm actually mm-hmm. Swedish and I came back from a, a trip to Stockholm just the other week. The restaurant we went to, I mean, some of the best food I've had in a very long time. So if you're a foodie and you want to try something different, I would say uh, Stockholm is your place to go if you want something different. And it's busy, but not as busy as some of these other destinations in Europe.
0: That's another international city, right? Uh, kind of like Geneva and places where people of all Stripes and colors kind of come through there and exist. What's a great Stockholm menu? Uh,
2: we had uh, cod. Uh, I had one of the best cod dishes I've ever had in my life um, at a restaurant called Smok, which means taste. And it's like a big dish menu where, but you pick based on your um, the flavors or the taste that you'd like. Seafood in anywhere in the Nordics or Scandinavia is always going to be amazing. You ever had lutefisk? Of course, <laughs> on Christmas Eve <laughs> every year. <laughs> do you like it? I do. I didn't like it as Be a kid. Honest. I do like it now. No, no. Um, but it, it all comes down to the sauce uh, and the potato and how you mash it. I mean, Lutefisk in itself doesn't taste much. And then it's acquired taste. It took me a few decades to get into it.
0: <laughs> That's a nice way to say it, an acquired taste. Uh, <laughs> on my Travel Channel show, we were up in Minnesota in the States yeah. and we went to the the Lutefisk festival and I learned that Lutefisk is cod cooked in lye. And I guess it was a back in the seafaring days of the Vikings and the adventurers from that part of the world, uh, it was very difficult to keep protein fresh yep. when you're traveling for months and months at a time. So they would take this cod and put it in lye and that would preserve it. And then they kind of cover it in butter and make it, try to make it palatable uh, as the uh, trip went along. We walked around the Lutefus Festival for 20 minutes before we saw someone actually eating it. (laughs) (laughs) And what did you think of it? I I thought, you know what, it's like I guess the closest thing it resembled was lobster but flakier. That's very kind of you to say. (laughs) Yeah, I, I didn't particularly love it and we couldn't get anyone on camera to eat it and make the yum yum sound. So I finally found this older guy and I sat down to next to him. And I said, you know, wh- no one's eating this stuff. Why are you here? And you know, what is it? You know, wh- why, why, what's, what's the deal? I go, do you really like it? And he goes, it's okay. But every time <laughs> I eat it, it, it makes me think of my grandmother yep. because it's something that you've, uh, you eat, it's a traditional recipe, right? And yeah. the look in his eye, he, he started crying, talking about his grandmother. And then I understood every country, every people has their thing, you know, that from little babies to grown-ups, it's a traditional thing. It brings people together. It's a family food. And um, lutefisk was his, his, and suddenly I understood it, and it, it actually made it, made it taste better yeah. <laughs> in some odd way. I, I I consider myself lucky. My grandmother was Italian, so my lutefisk was meatballs, which were delicious. So I didn't have that same problem. Um yeah. but Cod, what, what what else is a good uh Scandinavian dish that if you're in Stockholm that you must order?
2: The meatballs. And Italian meatballs are very different <laughs> to Scandinavian meatballs.
0: That's true. I've been to Ikea, so yeah. I know that you're telling the Close truth. Enough. All right, so that's Scandinavia. Uh, you mentioned some other cities. Uh, Barcelona. What's a great Barcelona dish that you don't want to leave Barcelona without trying? Oh,
2: I mean, the tapas um, or the cheeses. Uh, what I love about Barcelona is you can just, at any time of during the day, just find a cute spot um, anywhere, pretty much, in, in the city center, and just sit down, have some nice cava or red wine, and just pretty much ask them to come up with a charcuterie and, and kind of mix some cheeses and some ham, and it's all going to taste amazing.
0: Right. Okay. That's good. Tapas in in Spain. Uh, Rome, Italy. One of my favorite recipes there is cacio pepe, which is real simple. It's just cheese, pepper, and pasta, but somehow it's ultra delicious in Rome. They they actually have a big wheel of cheese that's kind of carved out, and they mix Mm -hmm. They put some of the water from the pasta in there, and they mix that with the cheese, and it's delicious. What's your favorite Roman dish?
2: Uh, it's going to be simple, but pizza. I mean, the pizza's in, and I love pizza anywhere, but the pizza's in Rome, Italy, and I go to Italy almost every year. I consume more pizza there during that time than throughout the rest of the year, because it's so good.
0: <laughs> Do you have a special and restaurant? Also, you, don't,
2: you don't get the calories in Italy. It's very different compared to where you eat them anywhere else.
0: Well, because there's no processed food. It's all very fresh and Oh, we yeah. actually lost weight. We were, in, we were in Europe for two or three weeks last year, and you, you're walking around a lot, and the food is super fresh. There's no preservatives, and it doesn't. you don't feel bloated. I don't eat pasta too much here in America, but over there, I eat literally all day long and feel good. Yeah, and also the serving
2: sizes are much smaller. They're more appropriate.
0: For people that are going to Europe for the first time, millennials, younger people, specifically because... You could get there for 150 bucks on Norwegian, which is ridiculously inexpensive. Oh, yeah. Let's say, you know, you've got $1,000 to last you for a couple of weeks. What are some other ways to save money that you're aware of uh, when you're heading over there? I mean, the
2: Mediterranean is is cheaper than Northern Europe, for sure, uh, or more affordable. Um, But I would say, what's so easy with us, for instance, is you fly into one city and you can fly out of another city, like an open-jaw ticket, as we call it. So, And you can take the train or rent a car, the Adriatic Coast, uh, the Dalmatian Coast. I mean, there's so many road trips, especially during summer, um, that you can do and get around and really get to see a little off the beaten track because um, we all love cities like Rome or Athens or Madrid, but you want to spend a few days and then you kind of want to see the whole different experience. And also the culinary experience is very, active in the big cities, you go out on the, um, on the countryside as well. So mm-hmm. um, I would definitely recommend that.
0: Uh, we had Kenny from eating Europe on the show last week, and it's a great company, they do food tours in 10 different cities uh, all over Europe, London, Paris, Rome, Barcelona, Lisbon. And I find that that's a great way to sample uh, what a city is like and what it tastes like. You know, the first day that you're someplace, go on a food tour or take a cooking class or do one of those hop on, hop off, topless buses where you just kind of get a lay of the land, you buzz around for a couple hours and you see everything. And then you can go back to Something that looked interesting or something that looked delicious. What's the best time of year to go to Europe, would you say, to balance the costs and the crowds and accessibility to all the kind of touristy things that people would want to do?
2: So for Scandinavia, I would say August. Beautiful weather, really warm, um, and not as crowded, especially the after second week of August. Whereas we're talking about the Mediterranean, I would say May or September. Also, Still beautiful weather uh, warm and not as hectic as july for instance when it's the ultimate peak season
0: right because everyone takes off of work and all the kids are out of school and people head to the water yeah um, and
2: it's also more affordable those um, those months as well
0: sure yeah there's more availability in hotels and things like that so the prices come down a little bit i'm i'm just shocked at the quality that you can get on norwegian air and the, more importantly the comfort we walked off the plane ready for a full day. Uh, typically, if you fly economy to Europe, you're twisted up like a pretzel for six hours, and it kind of ruins your first couple days there. Um, you've been, since 2013, you've been going from... Um, America to Europe. What's next for Norwegian? Are you going to continue to expand? Do you expand different classes inside each airplane? Obviously, you must be getting very popular with people. What's, what do you see okay. on the horizon for the airline? So,
2: uh, I mean, we're spending, definitely continuing uh, expanding in the U.S., but at a slower rate than we've expanded before. But we're actually now the largest foreign airline in New York City. So we serve three airports here, and we've overtaken Air Canada. As having more uh, passengers in and out of New York City, with the largest out of California, so there's there's a lot of growth um, coming on. But we're also expanding a lot in South America at the moment, both in Argentina and Brazil. Um, so there's a lot of things going on. But one thing that's uh, for customers, we're actually the first airline in Europe to provide free Wi-Fi, and still the only airline in Europe to provide free Wi-Fi. Uh, but it's now coming to all the uh, to the uh, Boeing um, Dreamliner aircraft as well. So that's something we're working on right now.
0: So when you're flying from America to Europe, you have free Wi-Fi the whole way?
2: Yes. And there's, a, there's wow. a premium option in case you want to stream box. And it's around $14 for three hours. So a lot cheaper than what I pay when I fly domestic and here in the U.S. for, for my Wi-Fi.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It seems like uh, especially the, the big three airlines here in America in the last four or five years have really the, some MBA guy must have gotten to them and say, hey, man, you could be charging people for everything. And they do. And uh, that's one of the reasons why I only fly Southwest domestically now. That's a I, I see a lot of similarities between Southwest and Norwegian Southwest. If mm-hmm. you have to cancel your flight, you don't lose your money. The, the planes are comfortable. The boarding is fair and quick. The prices are unbeatable, and they are always on time. It's like you could set your watch by what time your plane hits the ground uh, when you're going somewhere. And I think, and and they don't nickel and dime you for things. Uh, And I would hope that their success and your success would get some of the larger airlines to take notice and change their policies, but it seems to be moving in the other direction. Uh, You see that changing any time in the future, or are you guys just going to kind of hold your beach heads and keep doing what you're doing.
2: Well, we're definitely going to keep on doing what we're doing because we know the customers love it. Um, and while we're not known here in America, we we've won more awards than any low cost airline in the world. And also most the more airlines. Uh, we've been named the world's best low cost, uh, long haul airline for uh, four years. We've been named Europe's best uh, local airline for the past six years. And I think it comes down to the fact that, as you say, we don't nickel and time you. It's very transparent What you get it's new aircraft, comfortable seats, um, on-time performance, all those things, but at a reasonable price.
0: Yeah. And just so people know, this is not a commercial. This is, there's no money changing hands. Nothing's going on here. Just part of what we do on this show is we seek out the best values for hotels and attractions and airlines. And and we try and share it with people because no one likes to bitch about stuff more than me. Uh, I could be a cranky traveler if you're not trying hard. So when we do find companies like Norwegian air and eating Europe and hotel tonight that are really focused on the quality of the experience for the traveler, we want to tell everybody because we want to reward those businesses for not constantly focusing on nickeling and diming people and focusing on their bottom line but focusing on the joy of travel. And you know what? If you have a great time, you go back. And you go back yep. and you build a returning clientele which I think in the long run is better for anybody's business.
2: And we appreciate the shout out.
0: All right. Thank you so much for joining us. That's Anders Lindstrom from Norwegian Air, the most popular low-cost airline, and best uh, long-haul airline on the planet. Continued success and uh, happy travels. See you, Anders. Thank you. Take care. Make sure you never miss a hilariously delicious episode of A Fork on the Road by subscribing at fbpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Connect with us on Twitter and Instagram. Jennifer English is Flavor Bank on Twitter and hashtag FlavorBank on Instagram. I'm at Mark DiCarlo on Twitter and at Mark DiCarlo TV on Instagram, where I post all the funny things I see in my travels, including cranky tourists. While I was talking to Anders a moment ago, I mentioned another company that I think is a great tool to have in your travel bag. It's a company called Hotel Tonight and it's an app. It took me a little while to get comfortable with it because what they do is they are able to find all the hotel rooms in a city that you're headed to and you can get up to 50, 60% off if you book that day. So if you can stomach getting on a plane in New York and heading to London without having a hotel, when you land, you'll have a fantastic deal. You can get the app in the uh, Apple Store or in the Android Store. It's called Hotel Tonight. Uh, if you use my code, MDecarlo5, you get $25 off your first booking. And you just type in the name of the city that you're going to, and it'll show you a bunch of different types of hotels for really great prices. There's a standard hotel. There's a hip category and then there's a luxury category. So if you're looking for a great five-star hotel in Rome and you're on the plane using your free Wi-Fi, you'll get a great deal. And there's always inventory everywhere you go. Every hotel in the world, typically, even when they're sold out, they'll have one or two rooms that aren't occupied. And every hotel room that sits empty overnight cost them money because it costs them between 20 and $40 every day to turn a room and clean it and things like that. So somehow, Hotel Tonight has been able to figure out a way to find out about all that inventory at the last minute, and they market it through their app, which is uh, very effective. So uh, test it yourself. Go on Expedia or Orbitz or Kayak or one of the other sites that uh, sell hotels, hotels.com, and price out a trip next week. You can also book a week in advance on Hotel Tonight. And and my experience has been the Hotel Tonight is always far less expensive than any other outlet. And the hotels are always fantastic. But it took me a while to be comfortable going somewhere without having a place to sleep that night. So if you can get over that fear, I'm telling you that it's worth it. It'll take you a couple times. I guarantee you, I would try it, domestically before you do it internationally so you don't freak out, but that's another great product for traveling. And it also pinpoints the area and the location that the hotel is in. So if you're looking, if you're going to London, let's say, and you want to be in the hip and trendy Soho area, uh, you can dial it in for Soho. You can put it at Hempstead, wherever you want to uh, happen to go. So that's Hotel Tonight. My code is MDicarlo5. That'll get you $25 off your first booking. Also, Great time for road trips during the summer uh, here in America domestically. Uh, my book, A Fork on the Road, 400 Cities, One Stomach, is kind of a comedy book about food and travel and road trips here in America. That's one of my favorite things to do. Every summer, I'll always carve out a week or so and drive someplace that I've never been before. You can rent an RV and head to the grand canyon and camp out there you can drive across the south you can get on interstate 10 in los angeles and drive all the way to florida we have a great interstate system here in america and there's something about rolling something about driving it's a different travel experience than flying from airport to airport you see a lot more of the country and you meet a lot more of your fellow Americans. And it's a great way to kind of take the temperature of the country and the different regions and the different states. People, thank God, are still different depending on where you are in America. We have such a great big country, and things are different. The vibe in San Francisco is different than the vibe in Tallahassee or Boston or Indianapolis. And the only way you can find that out and enjoy it is by actually going there and eating at the roadside diners and places like that. You can pick up a copy of my book at my uh, website, markdecarlo.com. Just click on the book tab. Uh, It's called A Fork on the Road. 400 cities, one stomach. Kind of tells you a little bit about some of my favorite places to go and favorite recipes from famous places all around the country. I got chili recipes and bread recipes and steak recipes. I've got two friends that are headed to Amarillo, Texas right now on a road trip and they're going to head over to the Big Texan. If you haven't been to the Big Texan, it's off of I-40 in Amarillo, Texas and you can get yourself a free steak dinner. Now, there's some catches. The steak is four and a half pounds, 72 ounces. You have to eat that, a shrimp cocktail, a salad, dessert uh, a roll and butter all that within 60 minutes and if you eat it you get it free if you don't you pay a lot of money but that's part of the road trip
2: space the final frontier these are the voyages
0: of the starship enterprise
2: its five-year mission to explore strange new worlds To seek out new life and new civilizations. To boldly go where no man has gone before.
0: to our next guest, drinking is going to be as popular in the future as it is right now. A couple weeks ago, we were at the WSWA conference in Orlando, Florida. That's a big group of liquor distributors. They all get together and talk about what's new and exciting in liquor and wine and uh, new products and things. And I ran into a guy named Ryan McLevin who is about to launch
3: Captain Kirk whiskey.
0: Ryan, welcome to A Fork on the Road. Thanks for joining
3: us. Thank you for having me. It's an honor. Honor is a
0: pretty strong
3: word. I mean, you were on Seinfeld.
0: No, I guess you're right. Is this your first WSWA? Explain to people exactly what this event is.
3: Well, it's an industry meeting. It's a meeting that so wholesalers, uh, retailers, and suppliers get together once a year. And it's an opportunity for people just to become familiar with, with everybody's products and services. And it's not just you know, finished products, it's people here that are, you know, glass suppliers and label makers and dry goods of all sorts of uh, shapes.
0: So we're everything you need to do to make and market spirits and wine, you can find here. That's Labeling right. Labeling bottles and fine, fine whiskey. We're talking to you today about your Star Trek line of spirits. Yes. Where did this idea come from?
3: Primarily, we, we, are, we are a spirits company. In like addition, ghosts? Like liquor. Oh, Okay. The idea for Star Trek came really for a, a relationship that we had through another one of our holding companies that does collectibles. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this was the first product that we actually uh, have commercially available.
0: Captain Kirk, straight bourbon whiskey. I have a Star Trek trivia question for you. Shoot. Who was the executive producer? Not Gene Roddenberry. Who got the show on TV originally? Wow. The, the producer. You asked me a
3: Hollywood question. Uh-huh. Um, I would have said Gene Roddenberry.
0: Uh, he was the creative force behind it, but he also had a partner who was in bed with CBS and Paramount. This was shot at Paramount Studios.
3: Right.
0: Who was the guy? I don't know. Desi Arnaz. No kidding. It was a Desi Lou show.
3: Are you kidding? Uh-huh. You know what? I think you, I think you threw that out there last night at the Waffle House. Yes, I did. And I forgot. Yeah, well,
0: that's what happens when yeah. you go to the Waffle House late <laughs> at night. That's right. But yeah, he uh, Desi basically invented television in the 50s and 60s. If he hadn't invented the four-camera system they used for i love lucy that generated reruns Yep, we'd have none of that and he was he was the i believe he was the money behind star trek and the impetus to get cbs to put it on the air and now 50 years later it's still one of the most amazing franchises ever in entertainment and captain kirk has his own whiskey
3: he does you know cbs um all access the the new series uh, of star trek discovery Mm -hmm. is the most watched version of star trek in the history of the franchise it's more popular now than it's ever been
0: well the ethos of the series of the star trek all in all its iterations is i think very humanist and very human stories they're
3: not dated
0: they don't go out of style i think the same stuff that was evocative and provocative in the
3: 60s is still that way today yeah and i think that the show and the writing is very forward-looking yes it's progressive it was even progressive in the 1960s super progressive um, for that. and it's and it remains that way today
0: so how do you know what a guy who hasn't been born yet would want his whiskey to taste like? How did you figure out the whiskey profile
3: for this? I'm glad you asked because most people just ask about the whiskey. They don't. They don't really dig deep into like the the progression of how it came to be.
0: I'm married so, to a Trekkie. I, yes, I have a list of I, questions here. I, I have to ask you. So
3: if you notice, like the 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 federation the federation logo logo is from the next generation. Mm-hmm. Well, obviously. James T. Kirk was from the original series. He was not part of Next Generation. It's meant to pay tribute to Captain Kirk. It's, it's meant to sort of live in a universe where on the 10 forward bar on the Star Trek Enterprise, they might have had this on the back bar to pay tribute to an old captain. So that's why this lives the way that it does. Ah, so Kirk would be
0: drinking this because it reminded him of a past Starship Captain that he was a fan of.
3: No, so... Kirk was long gone by the time. Oh,
0: for, you're talking next gen.
3: Next gen. Okay. And so this. I need some sort of chart. I know it's it can. Ryan, it can, I can't it, just be you can't be throwing this timeline stuff out. It's you know I didn't grow up a, a Trekkie, but I've become one. Obviously, I mean I have a vested interest in being one now. Right. Um, and even if fascinated. you weren't, you'd
0: say that you were. Of course. So this could all be bullshit.
3: Possibly, okay. but I mean you can see we've done our homework.
0: Yes. How, how did you come up with the flavor profile to make it? Because you know, the minute this comes out. There's going to be Trekkies drinking this in their parents' basement and saying, oh, Captain Kirk would never like this bourbon because X, Y, Z. How do you know that he would love it?
3: So we've gotten some of that feedback, but the vast majority of the feedback we've gotten has been positive. And because we didn't try to say this was going to live in the original series, that this is something that we just imagine would live in the next generation. We just sort of put it in that universe. Oh, I see. So Patrick Stewart would be drinking this and going, hey, here's one to Captain Kirk. <laughs> Correct. And we chose a bourbon, candidly, because bourbon's hot right now. And we wanted, to, we wanted a flagship product that was great quality. And Kirk is not a Cosmo
0: guy. No. Captain James T. Kirk. He would be- He's a yes, bourbon guy. Yeah. He'd make out with a green girl and then drink this. Yes. I think so. Kills all the germs. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so now I get it. It's a, it's a tribute to Captain Kirk from the future. Correct. So how did you pick the profile? And what uh, Does it compare to other bourbons on the market? What makes it so delicious and special?
3: Well, this one in particular, and, and every iteration that we come out with, we'll have a batch process because we want to create something that is a series of bourbons and is collectible and drinkable. Um, we never want anything to be just collectible. We don't want it to sit up on a shelf. This is a, this happens to be a 12-year-old bourbon from Tennessee. Okay. We hand-selected all these barrels. There's a barrel house in Kentucky where we have access to some old Tennessee bourbon, and we go through and we hand-select each barrel. What is that somewhere. process
0: like? Do you personally go down there and take a little I mean, squig out of every barrel? What a great gig. Yeah, it's a, it's a good gig if you can get it. I know that you're a professional accredited sommelier. Yes. What is the, 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 the certification process for the bourbon tasters? Because I know there are master distillers. Yeah. And there so are master tasters.
3: There, there are. It's, it's, a, it's a different accreditation body than the court of master sommeliers, which is what I went through. Mm-hmm. Um, but I can tell you, people in the industry, like any sort of certification, you, you study everything. So even though mine is specific to wine and service... Uh, you would you would be a student of vodka. You would be a student of, of mixed drinks. You would be a student of cigar and teas and coffee and just anything that's gastronomic.
0: Anything a Bond villain would consume.
3: Or Bond himself.
0: Right. Well, he wouldn't smoke a cigar, would he? James Bond? Did he? Like after a particularly successful victory? Yes. Eh, I'll give you that. I think, All think right. so, probably. Go ahead.
3: The impetus behind this was we wanted a great quality bourbon that you as a bourbon drinker would want to drink. Right. And you as a Star Trek fan would want to buy because it's because they want to have everything that's related to Star Trek. Right. But first and foremost, we wanted a good product and we've got a great product in the bottle. Because
0: if it's a crappy product, people will buy it once. Correct. They'll taste it and you've, you've gone through all that time and money to acquire a,
3: a, a buyer and they don't come back. That's exactly right. Yeah. So we want this to become... The Star Trek fans house bourbon, if you will. The mm-hmm. Star Trek fans house vodka, if you will. This is what they drink on the regular. Um, but we also want for a bourbon consumer to walk by, pick this up out of curiosity, taste it, and go, well, I'll be damned, that's pretty good.
0: I mean, not just in a store
3: drinking it, right? <laughs> I'm not advocating that, but as long as it's not in my store. I'm <laughs> <laughs> We've already sold it. I don't Frankly, I don't care. <laughs> So
0: the Ten Forward Vodka and the uh, Captain James T. Kirk Straight Bourbon Whiskey; these are the only two Star
3: Trek products on the market as of now. So as of now, and you, what, what are you coming up with? In three weeks, we will have Montgomery Scott's Scotch. So Scotty that's Scotch, Scotty Scotch. So it's already available on pre-order. You can go to montgomeryscottscotch.com now and pre-order it, mm-hmm. um, and it should be available in about three or four weeks. It's being bottled next week, and then we're shipping it over. Wow. And it's a really good scotch, too. It's a blended scotch. Um, It's not a single malt, but I happen to be a fan of blended scotches, for one, because it takes a lot of skill to make a blended scotch taste the same year after year after year. We use 20 different distilleries to make this blended scotch. Wow. So a single malt doesn't have to taste the same every year, but that blended scotch, it's like... It's like if you were to walk into a McDonald's and a Big Mac tastes different in Peoria, Illinois than it did in Miami, Florida. Like there's there's an art to consistency in a blended scotch that is a really difficult thing to achieve. And I like that you went with a blended scotch instead of a straight...
0: Uh, you know, a single malt, because I think Scotty was more of a blue-collar engineer, right? He would not be
3: a hoity-toity single malt. He'd be a, a scotch drinker of the people. Maybe on a special occasion, but yeah, I think, you know, for his daily drink, he was probably drinking blended scotch. Right.
0: Are you doing like a Uhura Daiquiri? What are some of the other characters that you might memorialize in spirit?
3: You're digging. You don't. You far don't rise to this one. position in show business
0: <laughs> without the ability to dig deep and come up with some good questions.
3: So we're doing a Saurian Brandy. Uh, we'll do a Romulan Ale. Um, what is the Romulan Ale? We haven't decided on the Romulan Ale yet, but it's going to probably be an absinthe product. Oh. Because if you watch the show, it was green. Um, Romulan Ale was forbidden. Sure. You know, it had, really shouldn't even be talking I, about it here. It's, that's a fair point. Mm-hmm. Um, There's a
0: lot of prying eyes.
3: And ears. Yes. Um, but it, 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 so the story of Absinthe is very closely related to the story of Romulan ale. You know, it was this nefarious thing um it got cloaked in secrecy secrecy it was illegal Mm -hmm. you weren't allowed to own it and it got you drunker than drunk right so so we think that that's kind of a fun analog to have with with Sorian brandy is to make that an absinthe product
0: you have like three or four of those you wake up the next morning and you're laying next to a rombulan what do you do
3: yeah or jack kerouac
0: (laughs) and he's dead okay that sounds pretty cool you know what would be nice in the bottle design? You can get one of those little uh, LED lights that right? go on so that it's lit from the inside, make it look really spooky.
3: The Romulan ale? Yeah. Man, you are like, like you want a cut of that? Yeah. Okay. You know how really nice wine bottles oh, have yeah, that we're, little upside-down nipple? we sort of on the record on that. Aren't yeah, you? <laughs> we
0: um, you know, they have the, the indentation yeah. at the bottom. Yeah. You just put a little thing in there, motion activated, that's 12 cents probably per unit. That's an amazing idea. So then it turns and on you when know,
3: you pour it. it. when you watch it in the show, it's lit up. That's exactly what I'm saying. Yeah.
0: Go there. These are These it. are loving tributes to the Star Trek characters. Don't, don't shortchange the Romulans.
3: Well, that's a fair point.
0: Your company kind of exists at the intersection of show business and branding, Yes. right? We, we talked to people here that were doing Kiss Army Wine. Yep. Some branding ideas are great, such as these. Some are a little weird. Can you tell me some of the ideas that people have brought to you for branding that even you said, oh no, that's far too stupid?
3: No, I can't. You take everything, otherwise. Uh, uh, well, it's not that we take everything. But we listen to everything, and there are some ideas that I might not necessarily think are a good idea, but the fan base contradicts me. Like we have, we have this, 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 this system that we use called the affinity value metrics, and we run all of our ideas through this metric, and it, it takes in like 87 different components, and it determines how successful a brand is going to be based on 87 different things. And we'll run things like Downton Abbey through there. Which I was not necessarily a fan of, and I didn't think it made sense, but it ranked higher, hot as higher, higher than anything we've ever put through our system. What was the product? A wine uh, or we gin? a gin? It's going to be a gin, uh-huh. um, and and we think it's going to be huge. Um, but I'm not an expert on that fan base, so we take a look at everything, um, and just because it may not necessarily make sense on its face. Um, the, the fan fans are just that they're fanatical about the, the franchises that, that, that they like, and I mean who knew? I mean, everybody knows that Star Trek is a thing right like it's sure a, it's got a huge fan base, mm-hmm. but they will literally buy anything that, that we produce. I mean they just they, they eat it up
0: or drink it up as the case may in, be in this case. James T. Kirk, uh, straight bourbon whiskey, has the man tried it he has, and he, his opinion
3: he loved it. It was a reason that, it, that it's a thing. That it's a reason that he's uh, a, a minority partner in the business. Um, we met with him in Lexington, Kentucky, and we had a lunch. And uh, It's a funny story. He, he actually he said, I, I had this lunch. I brought you to this lunch. I accepted this lunch uh, to tell you now. But after tasting the bourbon, what's the next step?
0: I invited you to this lunch because I was fully committed in my mind to telling you no, that is. Spot but after on. tasting this incredible bourbon, I've decided to say yes. Were you there? No, that's my impression of Kevin Pollack's impression of William Shatner. I think Kevin Pollack does the best William Shatner
3: he impression. He does a really good William Shatner. Yeah.
0: Well, that must have been cool. Had, had you met Mr. Shatner before?
3: I had not met him, but prior to that, and we've met and talked several times since then, but that was my first meeting with him. And did you see him actually drink it in front of you? I did, yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah, and it was a barrel sample. It wasn't even out of this bottle. It wow. was just We just pulled samples out of the barrel and put it in an a, a unmarked bottle and brought, brought it over for him to taste.
0: Where are you going to find a Romulan to taste test the Romulan ale? Do you have one located yet?
3: That's a great question. I probably have to talk to CBS about that. Probably I would know suggest Venice are.
0: Beach, maybe. Uh, <laughs> Hate Haight- Ashbury up in yeah. San Francisco.
3: I would start there. Yeah, that's a uh, Comic-Con. <laughs> be too many options yeah. at Comic Con. Yeah, too many options at Comic Con <laughs> for sure. <laughs> then save you time; they'll all be there. Well, this yeah. is uh,
0: fantastic. I, we would love to have Mr. Shatner on the show to talk to him in the future about this.
3: Uh, is he going to do? Are you going to do any kind of Star Trek? roving promotions so um we do a reserve version of this that that he signed the bottles Mm. um and then he does he he does appearances all over for for comic-con and star trek and cbs still to this day we saw his one-man show last year in in la amazing
0: it was beyond amazing first of all i don't think he gets credit for being the great truly great actor that he is because his characters have passed into kind of pop culture and everyone accepts it as oh yeah it's easy I I think he's a fantastic actor. He's in his 80s. His career is still going strong. That's
3: incredibly difficult. His his memory is better in his 80s than mine is now in my 40s. You you already said that.
0: (laughs) Well, I think this is a really cool idea. And I wish you the best with it. Hope you come
3: back on the show when you launch your Romulan Ale and all the rest of your stuff. I appreciate you guys having us. It's been a lot of fun. One thing I do want to say about the 10 Forward Vodka really quickly, though. Okay. So you said we sort of live at the intersection of entertainment and, and marketing. Oh, well, really. you
0: remembered that, yes.
3: I do remember that part of it, the things that are important, I remember. Um, <laughs> But but so, we we are a marketing company, and we have a lot of fun with it, and and we try to make things that are bespoke to each franchise, and we try to do something that that appeals to the fan base, and on this particular product, we sent a bottle of it to space. And then we brought it back, Uh and we blended that bottle with the rest of the vodka. And so, in theory, each bottle has a little bit of vodka that's been to space. Wow. And will in perpetuity because we'll take, every time we do another batch, we take one bottle and we blend it in with the other one. Um, of course, it's kitschy and it's marketing and it's fun. But but, but it's, it's space. But it's space. It's space vodka. Right. And if you drink enough of it, you believe that you're in space. Yeah. Well, we always encourage, encourage uh, drinking responsibly, of course. But, I mean. If you're in space. You know, in space. Mm-hmm.
0: You're not driving. No. And you can drink six times more because your weight is one-sixth. Is that true? Maybe I don't, I don't know. It sounds like it could be true. I think you made that up. <laughs> Ryan, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Marcus. On, on the pleasure. road, I got one more thing to say to you. Live long and prosper. You too, brother. Well, that is our show for today. Where else can you listen to one show and hear about whiskey from the future and Europe in the summer? I want to thank all of our guests today. Anders Lindstrom from Norwegian Air, Ryan McLevin from Silver Screen Partners, and Captain Kirk Whiskey, and all of you for listening. You can find me on Instagram at MarkDeCarloTV and on Twitter at MarkDeCarlo. Those are great places to follow if you're looking for travel tips or a little insights during the summer. I like to post funny videos. We'll be posting a lot of material from Europe this summer. We're heading over there for about three weeks. So follow us and... Um, I think you'll enjoy it. Thanks for listening, and enjoy your summer. So until next time, I'm Mark DiCarlo, and I will see you at a fork on the road. Thanks for listening. She's Jennifer English at Flavor Bank, and I'm at Mark DiCarlo TV on Instagram. We'll be back next week with another deep dive into travel, food, and fun. Until then,
1: I'll see you at a fork on the road. Come fly with me. Once I get you up there, I'll be holding you so near. You may hear angels cheer, cause we're together. Weather-wise, it's such a lovely day. Just say the words and we'll beat the birds down to Acapulco Bay. Perfect for a flying honeymoon, they say. Come fly with me, let's fly, let's fly. Cause we're together weather-wise ¶ It's such a lovely day ¶ You just say the words ¶ And we'll beat the birds down to Acapulco Bay ¶ It's perfect for a flying honeymoon, they say ¶ Come fly with me, let's fly, let's fly Let's fly away